an important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. My guest today is Dave Basil, aka Anti-Gravity Gains, and he is a father, husband, and works as a software developer. He grew up in the US, but traveled around as his father was in the Air Force. His favorite place to live was Colorado, as well as Peru and Panama. Dave is what most people would call an ultra runner, running his first marathon in 2009 and later his first ultra marathon in 2015. An ultra marathon is basically anything over a marathon in length, which is 42 kilometers or 26 miles. Uh, since then, he has run many races and he has been to many places, including the famous race out at Leadville, Colorado. His longest race to date is the Brew to Brew in Kansas City, which was 44 miles in length, a whopping 70 kilometers in which he ran strict keto currently he lives in kansas city uh, which gives him easy access to the trails where he's discovered a love for single track running he's also a big advocate of strength training which he's used to recover from a bad injury in 2012 hitting the gym as part of his regular run training uh, in this podcast, we talk about training advice, some nutrition and hydration um, surrounding keto running, and the mental capacity it takes to run an ultra marathon. Uh, so for my first interview, it's been an absolute pleasure to interview such a down-to-earth guy like Dave. Um, he says connecting with people on the keto diet community on social media has really helped him in the learning process, as well as keeping him accountable and on track. So go ahead and connect with him over on Instagram and YouTube at Anti-Gravity Gains to follow along his journey of learning and accountability. So please welcome Dave Basil to the Fat for Weight Loss show. Dave, how you doing? Great, Aaron. How you doing? Hey, man, I really appreciate getting to be on your podcast. This is so cool that you're starting this. I remember we talked on Instagram Live, oh, a couple months ago, and I was like, dude, you're so good at this interviewing stuff. You should really start a podcast. And you're like, you know, I reckon I might do that. <laughs> You know what? And I um, uh, I remembered that when I was starting a podcast and I, I said to you, I was like, what, if, if I start a podcast, you are going to be the first person that I have on it because you inspired me to do a podcast. So here we are. That is great. How, however many months later. So yeah, it's really good to, to uh, be talking to you. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like I know, I know you're a runner, but you know, I, Tell us more about yourself other than what we can find on Instagram and YouTube and whatnot. Yeah, that's a good question, really. I mean, I'm a, you know, I think 
to an extent, I put up a little bit of a mask when it comes to social media because, first of all, you only have so much that you can really display on something like an Instagram story, right? So I, I usually just try to have a lot of fun with that, but I have a serious side to me too. I have a career in software development, although I'm going into business analysis here pretty soon. I have a wife and a kiddo, so you know I've got a lot of things going on in life, but um, as far as Instagram and, and YouTube, you know, besides being a runner, I grew up, you know, really um, active type kid, you know, throw me a ball, I'll catch it or kick the soccer ball. And I've always just kind of enjoyed sports. I'm not somebody that sits around and watches a lot of sports right now because I'm busy with things and I'd rather participate and be an active rather than sit around and, and watch, you know, marathon watch, uh, sports through the weekend. That kind of stopped for me during the end of college, I'd say, but, uh, what else? You know, I'm kind of a high-strung guy. I'm sure people have picked up on some of that with some of my rants on Instagram. But, um, you know, I really get into the details of things. And if I'm if I'm curious about something, if it grabs me, I really immerse myself into, into the subject matter. So something like running as well as, um, you know, a low-carb ketogenic diet, those are some things that have really stuck since I became interested in it. And it's that's just how I'm wired, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, it's funny you say that you were a software developer because I was actually a software developer for about two or three years prior to starting my website. Um, what what sort of languages did you or do you develop in mostly? Well, it's mostly we were a .NET shop. And, um, you know, so we used C Sharp. But in my early days, about 17, 18 years ago, I was into Java. And then I went to desktop application development for a good five or six years with Visual Basic 6. and um, But then got back yeah. into web stuff. You know, C Sharp on the back end, JavaScript on the front with some of the newer frameworks like AngularJS. Um, but, you know, part of the reason I'm doing this career change, I'm 46 years old and I've sitting here been reevaluating things. You know, what's my personality like? I'm kind of honing in on that more than what my, my uh, uh, educational, you know, or my intellectual prowess lens towards it's more like what's my personality match up for is it being a coder for the next you know 15 years in my career and i'm like no i think i like interacting with various business units and things like that being a liaison and you know getting the requirements and helping roll out software if i'm going to be in that industry and uh and help, you know, conduct user acceptance testing and things like that and documentation. So I'm going to be a business analyst starting a new gig this Monday. So kind of in a transition cool. phase as far as career goes. So, yeah. Congratulations. I, I, I really applaud in, um, you know, I, I, I was a musician for a long time and uh, I quit being a musician to be a software developer. Really? And I had the exact feeling yeah so i had all this training being a musician and uh i i stopped doing that and became a software developer and you know it's okay to uh you know leave something behind because it's not that you're giving up something you can okay. still find whatever you've found in your previous job in your new job like i was really creative in music and i just found software developing to be super creative as well right. and again like you know running fat for weight loss it's creative again so i just have this drive for being creative and you're, you're going to find the exact same thing in your new job so uh yeah it's really awesome to to hear you making the jump um, but, you know, aside from working and aside from running, uh, I, I follow you on Instagram 
and uh, and I think you and AD Keto do this a lot, <laughs> where you do um, what's called a monster order. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what a monster order is and how you might be able to do one? Right. So, you know, it's because, you know, it's kind of like small talk gets old after a while. It's like, so a lot of us in the low-carb community, you know, we go through drive throughs here in the U.S. ordering coffee, espresso, and um we're pretty um, high maintenance. I, I've found I'm not the only one in this low carb community because you go through a drive through and you you want a, an espresso and you want <laughs> like Aaron, the other Aaron, AD Keto. Um, he's got a good monster order and, and the the idea is to have fun with your order at the intercom at the speaker in the drive through in your car when you're placing your order and you do a keto monster voice you know and you, you make sure it's a keto friendly <laughs> order but part of the risk there is to you know see how how badly they botch your order perhaps on purpose because you're you're screwing around with them at like eight in the morning rush hour you know and you're ordering in a keto monster voice like i need a venti cafe americano with butter you know grass (laughs) (laughs) so it's just some fun we've done on instagram and and some others like pj and ad keto you know they've they've um joined in some of the fun and you know i haven't done one for a while but i'd say i'm about there to do another one but um a lot of the folks here in kansas city area in the midwest of this country are very receptive to it but i think aaron at 80 kilos had worse luck with it out there on the east coast Oh, there you go. <laughs> Maybe, you know, that's, uh, yeah, because I see yours and, and they're always pretty friendly and I see Aaron's and they just totally botch it. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny to watch, you know, but you really feel sorry that he's wasted five bucks on trying to get a, a coffee and he has to throw in the bin. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, aside from Monster Orders, uh, keto has been a, or, you know, low carb and keto have been a pretty big part of your life. Um, can you, can you tell us what what the motivation behind going low carb or keto was for you and how that impacts your everyday life and also your running as well because you're an ultra runner as well. Right. So there's kind of a multi-pronged answer here as you can imagine. You know, my weight loss and weight maintenance journey has been, you know, pretty long. I'd say since the year 2004, it's kind of a three-tiered um, or three-phase type thing in my weight loss and my educational journey as far as learning about my own body as far as how – processes, uh, macros and things like that, how I lose weight and then maintain it, you know, when I get to a certain plateau or homeostasis, you know, set point, if you will. Um, so I started off with, you know, I was gaining weight slowly but surely over time. I always kind of had like an athletic type build, you know, but, you know, a little extra body fat on there, a good 20, 30, you know, even up to um, 35 pounds overweight at one time, still able to run and everything, but um, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired as, as far as, you know, carrying around that extra weight. And, you know, despite starting my running to help lose weight loss, you know, I lost that first 15 pounds. I was up at 220 pounds at one point, which I'm sorry, I can't translate this into kilos off the top of my head. But um, for a five foot um, 10 person, you know, at 223 pounds, I was just like, okay, that's a turning point for me. I'm going to start running more consistently instead of just every now and then. So that took me down to a good, you know, I even got that down to about 205 pounds without really changing the junk food I was eating in my diet. And that was between 2004, year 2004 and 2007. And then after moving from a different, to a different city, I really plugged into a running community, a new job I had in Iowa, which is a state here in the Midwest and um, of the 
United States. And um, I ran my first half marathon in the year 2007. So I was, as you can imagine, going from like little three milers and four milers to running a half marathon, it took more training. So I was being more consistent, had that goal. And uh, that allowed me to, you know, hover around 200, 205 pounds, sometimes dipping down below 200, but, you know, between 198 pounds and 205 pounds. Um, and that was fine. I, I loved that for a while. That lifestyle was fine with me. Um, you know, compared to being 220 pounds, I was rather happy with that. But, um, you know, I would lift weights a little bit here and there, but not very consistently. Um then, you know, I got into the half marathons. I had my first marathon in the year 2009. I remember seeing a photo one time at a finish line. I'm like, man, here's this guy that's running of myself and another friend. And it's like, I have this beer gut. And I don't even drink beer, but I had like this beer gut type of look at the finish line after a marathon. And I'm like, why? You know, I do all this working out and I'm still carrying around an extra 25 pounds, you know, and What's going on here? So I started kind of ditching the bun anytime I get a hamburger at fast food. So I went pretty low carb, you know, but it wasn't super strict. And I'd kind of flex diet and kind of go off the rails on the weekends. And, and that helped me lose maybe another 10 pounds. I'd get down to about 195. Um, and then, you know, I got injured. In like 2012, I had a meniscus issue in my knee. And I couldn't run like I as many miles as I, you know, some days I'd be able to eke out three milers and other days I couldn't even run across a soccer field chasing my kid around or anything like that. So um, I was on the bench, you know, I could not run like I used to. So I had to, and I kind of thought, Aaron, that I would never run another marathon. So I got back into the weight room, you know, and I just, you know, worked out in there and did a little um, swimming and things like that to get a little bit of cardio in and, um, that was great because I went through a body recomp there. So, you know, I didn't lose a whole lot of weight. Maybe got down to 190, but my body changed where it stored its weight in a way. And I was still kind of doing the flex mm -hmm. diet. I wasn't doing super low-carb keto, but I was kind of ditching some of the carbs and, you know, maybe having some pizza on the weekend and an ice cream treat, you know. So maybe one or two days a week I'd eat like crap, but. So I kind of went through that body recomp because I was lifting weights consistently between 2012 and 2014 while that knee injury was healing. I would still get, you know, maybe 10 miles total per week on running if I was lucky. And then suddenly that, that uh, knee injury alleviated. It kind of self-corrected. And I was able to start ramping up my mileage, running trails. And um, I forgot to tell you the second phase of my weight loss journey was also intermittent fasting, which I started in 2011, mm -hmm. 2010, somewhere thereabouts. And um, yep. that helped a lot for me to kind of, I hated counting calories and I hated tracking macros. And uh, that just kind of, I, I like eating a big meal. So, you know, everybody in the running community always says you have to eat, you know, in the morning before you run and you have to eat, you know, four meals a day and this kind of stuff. And the fitness community in general kind of does that. Um, and that just never really, it never really matched me from a natural standpoint. I, I've always felt unnatural making myself eat when indeed I'm not feeling hungry at all. So intermittent fasting was kind of a natural match for me. Um, you know, eating, you know, waiting until like noon or one o'clock in the afternoon to have my first bite. And that helped get, you know, me down to about 190 consistently, you know, 190 pounds. Mm -hmm. So. Getting back into the trail running after my knee self-corrected, I, I rehabbed that knee, um, 
you know, so I had, you know, consistent exercise going already with the weight training and some cardio and getting back into, and into more consistent running along with my intermittent fasting, I still had this vanity thing to finally get around to your question, how to get into keto, the ketogenic diet, the vanity aspect is what grabbed me. Cause I'm looking in the mirror a few times, you know, during the week, I think this was probably, yeah, this is August, 2016. And I'm like, I'm lifting weights four to five times a week. And depending on where I'm at in the season for, you know, what time of the year for running, I'm running, you know, three to four, sometimes five times a week. Now, why is it I'm sitting here at a hundred and, you know, upper 180s and I've got this spare tire around my gut and granted it's not as bad as it was a few years prior, but still a muscular build, but I'm carrying all this weight around my midsection. You know, what's going on there? How come I can't have a washboard? Why can't I have washboard abs? Well, you know, obviously there's a little bit of insulin resistance, what it comes down to. And I, I was pretty, you know, still being kind of flexed diet, but I was pretty, pretty low carbs, you know, during the weekdays and for the most part. And I'm just like, as much as I work out, it's kind of pissing me off, pardon my language. It's kind of pissing me off that I'm doing all this working out. And it's basically abs are made in the kitchen. But, you know, I tried the 40-40-20 breakdown of macros, 40% carbs, 40% protein, 20% fats, which is kind of a standard starting point for a lot of people. And, like, bodybuilding will kind of start there and deviate from there, find what works best. But um, it didn't work for me. And I never felt satiated. You know, I never felt full. Anytime I had carbs to that extent, like 40% or more, it was just it was constant battle throughout the day to, to stop eating when I should to maintain my body weight or even try to cut weight. So the ketogenic diet, or I stumbled across it somehow. I really can't remember how. Um, but, you know, and then I remember discovering like Keto Connect, Matt and Mega early on too. Within a month of starting keto, I saw them out there. And I just latched on a really... And back to my personality type, I really immersed myself into this this um, community of ours. You know, YouTube, you know, Jimmy Moore's book, Keto Clarity, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance with Dr. Finney and Volek, uh, just a bunch of stuff early on. And, um, you know, I've slipped since, but that's how I got into it. It was vanity, but I discovered that it helped my inflammation issues, joint pain, general aches and pains. It helped stabilize my energy in the afternoons, never had that afternoon crash anymore. Um, I won't say never. Sometimes that happens. I think sometimes if I'm off on electrolytes, I might feel a little groggy or something in the afternoon, but 90% of the time I don't feel that way anymore. And recovery is the number one benefit and why I'm hanging around still using the ketogenic diet is really how it's helped my running game with uh, recovery. As far as from an athletic standpoint, that is definitely the biggest advantage of the ketogenic diet in my opinion. That's really interesting. So, so yeah, and I totally agree with the recovery, and we'll get to that in a sec. So, uh, you you looked at yourself in the finish line, and you you you, you sort of weren't happy. And I've I've felt exactly like that before, you know. Uh, and you had that slow introduction of going low carb, and then eventually going keto later on. Uh, you you use intermittent fasting. Um, what what type of intermittent fasting were you using to start off with? If you don't mind me, yeah, asking. it was basically a sixteen eight or an eight. 18-6, which means, you know, you limit your feeding window down to eight hours a day and you fast for the other 16. For me, working a day shift, a typical nine to five type job or eight to five rather, um, you know, it was easy for me to wake up. I was a guy, I remember even college, you know, even, even uh, you know, in high school, I, I just naturally never felt super hungry in the morning. So 
that was an easy thing to do. You know, stop eating at like, let's say 7 p.m. at night, let's say 8 p.m. at night. And then in the morning at 8 a.m., you're like, well, rather than forcing myself to eat that half granola bar and banana before I go out for a run or whatever, like everybody says you have to or else you're going to bonk. <laughs> rather than do that, how about just follow what I naturally feel and not eat anyway and just make sure I drink the thirst and, and go out and run or go into work and, and then decide when I want to eat. And more often than not, I didn't even have food cross my mind until 11 a.m. 10 30 11 a.m then i thought okay well i'm trying to get to a 16 hour mark here let's just kind of push it see if we can go to noon so i didn't eat from eight o'clock the night before if i don't eat till noon voila there you go i've got myself 16 hours and i found that you know i'll just kind of experiment with that and then the early days i kind of thought about the numbers a lot like oh i gotta try to make 16 or oh now let's try 18 sometimes 18 was easy to not eat for 18 hours. And sometimes I didn't make it to 20, but you know, I was pretty consistent with uh, somewhere around 16 to 18 hours daily, not eating. And it felt natural. Um, since going keto, I've noticed a lot of people are like, Hey, you ought to try intermittent fasting too. A lot of people find the ketogenic diet first, and then they couple it with intermittent fasting. So they find mm-hmm. intermittent fasting afterwards because being more satiated with a higher fat diet, like the ketogenic diet, um, uh, you know, it's all about, um, low carb, high fat, moderate protein. Um, you know, a lot of people find, well, you know, I I feel like I can kind of skip that morning meal or something like that. Um, for me, it was just, it was something I was already doing the intermittent fasting thing. So I didn't have to think about that too much. I did have to get my adjustment going as far as eating more fats than I used to, you know, healthier fats. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I mean, you know, as you said, most people come to intermittent fasting after going keto because they find it interesting or they find it, they find out through the ketogenic diet that you can, you know, push that that eating window closer and closer and closer. And, you know, some people even do one and two and seven day fasts and whatnot. Um, And, you know, you sort of teach your body how to burn the fat that's already on your body. But uh, it was interesting what you said about, you know, uh, listening to your your own body and, you know, sort of ignoring what other people were telling you to do because there's this huge stigma in especially in running and especially in endurance activities right. where you have to carb load and you have to try and get as much fuel in your body as right. possible. Um, and, you know, w- was it hard to sort of uh, step off the the popular route and say, no, I'm going to do what feels best for me. Was that hard for you? It wasn't too hard. I mean, I'm kind of a rebellious type spirit anyway, but in a way it was because you're plugged into that community and consensus is so much that you're supposed to eat. Damn it. You're crazy. If you don't eat, cause you're going to bonk if you don't. Now I think there is a time and place for that. And I have experimented with targeted ketogenic diet in a healthy way, not eating donuts. Although some would say like Courtney DeWalter is an ultra marathon runner she's amazing yes and she'll eat whatever the hell she wants and i'm not going to sit here and argue some people work with that kind of stuff better than others myself i don't from my addictive mindset you know i'm i'm in you know i am apt to be you know spiral out of control if i start on one bite of a donut you know it means a dozen for me you know (laughs) that's how i goes. but i have experimented successfully with a targeted ketogenic diet where whereby I use, you know, air quotes here, uh, healthier carbs, you know, with like a sweet potato um, and some maybe quinoa and things like that to kind of fill up the glycogen stores again before going out for an ultra marathon race. And I did that, Hmm. you know, a couple months ago. And I kind of liked it, you know, I'm 
still experimenting, forever experimenting with things. And then after that, a month later, I even went the longest distance I had ever gone, a 44-mile race using strict keto. So um, the benefit, the longer you're doing this thing with the ketogenic diet is that I find if, if you, depending on how wrecked your, your metabolism might have been or um, any medical condition you might have, if you get to where you are fat adapted, I'd say after a year, you know, of consistent, you know, uh, ketosis, um, being in ketosis often for at least a year, being fat adapted, uh, you get a little bit of metabolic flexibility. For some of us, we, we get that. And I have found that I, I was able to successfully use a healthier targeted ketogenic uh, strategy on that uh, 50K race, which was in the mud for six and a half hours in February. And it was very hilly, and it, and it worked really well. I mean, my heart rate was way up there dealing with muddy hills, trying to get up muddy hills without, you know, falling and stuff like that. And I found that uh, it, I liked it, you know, but I also like the strict ketogenic, ketogenic approach too. And I'm, I'm really confused, Aaron, because I, I keep sitting here thinking, well, if you want your heart rate to be anaerobic for a lot of your race, in other words, really kicking it into high gear, you're going to have to use carbs. And I don't think that's true depending on context because there's somebody on Instagram. I follow runners on Instagram, mm-hmm. and some of them are uh, ketogenic runners. This one gal ran the Boston Marathon, you know, what was that, a month ago? And it was crappy yeah. conditions. It was rainy. It was windy. It was it was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. She's keto. She's keto, and she's young. You know, uh-huh. I mean, uh, she did three hours and four minutes finish, and wow. she did it straight keto. She says, "I said, what did you do? Did you do any targeted of any targeting of carbs? You know, periodizing some carbs, as Zach Bitter would call, and sneaking in carbs. You know, before the race." And she said, no, maybe I had some more nut butters and some nuts, you know, but I used the UCAN for her electrolytes. She said the orange and the plain flavors are very keto-friendly, never kicked yeah. out of keto. Um, and I told her about, like, Ultima Replenisher, which I have found is a, is a nice um, electrolyte mix that I used on my strict keto run. But, yeah, I'm amazed. That means mm-hmm. that person, I mean, they're, they're, you've got to be up in the anaerobic heart rate zone. You're, you're not a math, mafetone zone there. Um, so I mm-hmm. think, you know, you might be stretching it on some of these races, but even being strict keto, you can really kick ass and run fast, you know, <laughs> and not bonk. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree, you know, and um, I, I listened to uh, a lot of what Mark Sisson was saying before I jumped into the Keto Marathon and his book, um, Primal Endurance, and he was saying that, you know, uh, and for anyone who's listening who doesn't know too much about different heart rate zones, maybe we can talk a little bit about that, but basically what he was saying is that if you train in a, um, you know, in an aerobic zone, you will eventually get to the point where you can actually push that aerobic zone to being quite fast, right? right? So maybe the, the, the lady who won the – sorry, who did the Boston Marathon in just over three hours, you know, it'd be interesting to have a look at her heart rate and to see where that actually was because she may also be running just in that threshold right. zone where she's still able to burn, a, a, you know, a good mix of glycogen and and fat at the same time, but still not be pushing into that anaerobic zone. And it just depends on her fitness, really, maybe. Um, but, you know, that, that that could be a thing. And and I guess 
that's probably tapping into what you were saying before, how you can, you can run and you can run hard right. still. Um, but for some of those people, they're just so fit that they're still in that aerobic zone where they can push those, those types of tempos. But, you know, like we're, we're talking about all these great races like the Boston Marathon and, you know, all of these fantastic running experiences. But what, what are the greatest races and, you know, some of the distances you've covered? Cause you were talking about the brew to brew where you did the 44 miles, which is the longest run you've ever done. And I think you're insane, but, <laughs> and you know, it, it's, it's so great to see other people doing that, you know, and, and could you let us know on maybe some of the, the runs you did in Colorado, for instance? Right now I've only done, I lived in Colorado as a kid for four years, but I was a kid and I wasn't into running. We were in the snow skiing and I was playing soccer and, and things like that. Um, you know, but I, I just love Colorado, and anytime I can get over there, I do. It's one state away. I don't get there often, but Leadville, Colorado, is a popular um, destination. We actually skied in a little ski resort that was near there when I was a kid, which still happens to be there. But it has become a very popular um, land, you know, landmark in Colorado where uh, people run the hundred mile distance, and they also have a fifty mile distance as well as a regular marathon. Uh, distance and so you know i'm not ready for a 50 mile or 100 miler yet but i did sign up for the marathon one back in in 2016 and i actually signed up for that very early that year so i was just like and i don't usually commit to a race very early like that um usually i'm running something pretty local within two hours of me and i just kind of wait to see what the weather is like but you know leadville is like i really want to prepare for it and in fact i was kind of experimenting with a less is more type approach that year i was really focusing on my lifting but also running and i was doing the stair step or stair stepper and and incline walking and things like that not just running i was really trying to um have a variety of ways to be um working cardio on tired legs so sometimes i'd even do a leg lift with weights, you know, a day or two before a cardio session and not run as long of a distance, but see how, you know, kind of simulate some of that pain and some of that grit that you need to get through that. And I'm glad I did that because that race has so many ups and downs and those ups, it starts at 10,200 feet elevation and the highest point for the marathon, which is actually, I think it gets to a higher point than even their hundred miler because they have different routes for the other two distances, but is 13,185. And, First of all, I just love Colorado, and the scenery was just. I have a YouTube video from it's you know a um, couple of years old or whatever, but I I just really enjoyed it. I just love the mountains. Um, I'm a mountain guy, and I love the ocean too. As a kid, I got to be around the ocean, but if I had to pick, I'd pick the mountains, man, just because I love the. I think it's God's country. It's just beautiful. And other than that, you know, my favorite races have been around here in the Midwest, in northeastern Kansas. They have a lot of single-track trail races here put on by a great race director, uh, Ben Holmes, with um, Trail Nerds as the organization, his uh, group. And he puts on a bunch of uh, races each year with various distances from 5Ks at nighttime. You know, you can get your kids out and run that. Or a 50-miler or, you know, a 100K and... I've run a few of his 50K distances, and believe it or not, here in Kansas, the land of Oz, there's some hills in this area of Kansas, and it's pretty tough with rocks and roots and all that kind of stuff. Not Leadville, Colorado tough, but indeed tough. (laughs) Yeah, uh, look, and, um, you know, I I think 
training on those types of hills really sets you apart when you actually go and do the distance because when you are running a ma- like I, I haven't run a marathon yet. I'm about to run a marathon in six weeks' time from now and maybe I would have already run it by the time this podcast is out, but who knows. Um, and I think what happens when you start running distances like that is you have to have a supreme mental attitude towards running and you have to be able to push through some pretty painful like pain caves as they call it and uh and and that's why i think you know athletes make good parents because they've been able to suffer for a long time (laughs) and they know how to suffer in times of bad to you know push through and get to the good stuff but um like what do you what do you think helps someone push through the pain of running, because if, if someone's just starting out running, uh, obviously that pain is going to come much, much quicker than if you're pretty accustomed to running and you're doing 50 Ks. But, uh, you know, I'm sure you must have it as well. You know, you, 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 running never gets easier. You just go faster, right? Right. And h- how do you push past those, you know, those little roadblocks while you're running those big distances? Um, you know, you break it down. I'll tell you what. <laughs> it, it all depends on context, what your goals are. You know, this this Emily gal on Instagram that ran this Boston three hours and four minutes. I've, I've My fastest road race marathon was three hours and 28 minutes. It's like just a second or two below an eight-minute-per-mile pace. And that was in 2012 in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it's hard, depending on what your goals are. Like, I was trying to get to 325, you know, and I didn't get it. But, um, you know, those painful moments in a marathon, there are going to be those. Um depending on your goal. You know, like I've run a 3.33 finish time in Omaha, and it was easy. I could run another five miles, but I wasn't running quite as fast. Um, Usually there's going to be pain points, and you've just got to break down what's the next milestone, so to speak. In an ultra marathon, the way I did the 44-miler, which was not in the trails, it was a point-to-point race from a brewery here in Kansas City, Missouri area, to another town called Lawrence, Kansas, which is just right across the state line in Kansas, um, where the University of Kansas was, where I went to college. But that was a 44-mile race on partial paved roads as well as some gravel roads. And I'll tell you what, being a trail, somebody that has loved running trails and focused on single-track hilly trails in the woods for the last four or five years, running that road race on really flat ground with long stretches and not very many turns was actually very difficult for me because you get into more of a monotonous mode um, and you've got to use different trickery, you know, like, okay, just get to the next aid station, you know, or get to that next landmark, then stop and stretch and walk for 30 seconds. You know, it depends on where, how much pain you're in and what your goal is, you know, as far as how how hard you're going to push for that 44 miler. I had run the 50K about six weeks before, but I hadn't trained very much between them as far as very long distance runs on the weekends. You know, I'd run maybe a 16 miler since I ran that 31 mile race, and that was it. And now I'm going for 40. It was on a whim I signed up for the 44 mile race. So my goal was to keep my my heart rate down, stay strict keto, and sure, stop and walk whenever needed, but, you know, try to just finish without dying and um you know i think i've finished other regular marathon distance races in more pain but 
you know, I mean, this, this, the flat course and it being on the streets and on the gravel roads and not many turns and you're looking out on the horizon and you're just kind of, uh, it can be dazzling, you know, it can be challenging to, uh, get through that. And I, you know, the last eight miles were rough for me and especially the last four and a half. I mean, I dropped my pace down dramatically simply because I wasn't trained well enough as far as having enough time on my feet, you know, before that race. But being fat adapted, allowed me to get through it and it also despite being very sore walking away from that finish line at the end down a little hill you know my quads killing me and stuff like that that recovery took me like a day and a half compared to you know being completely wasted after a marathon in 2012 Mm -hmm. in Cincinnati my fastest taking like three days before I feel I can climb up one set of stairs you know on a standard American diet standard western diet (laughs) So there's a, a huge difference yeah. in recovery, and I'm sorry for the long-winded answer, but I really wanted to circle back to that too. Yeah, no, it's you know I'm all about long-winded answers. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and, you know, and that sort of ties back into recovery, uh, what we were going to talk about before. And um, you know, you said it took a day and a half for you to recover right. from this 44-mile race, which for anyone who lives uh, outside of America, I think that's about 70 kilometers. Um, and that's a long way to run, right? And uh, I have run 26Ks so far. That's my longest distance. And it took me a day and a half to recover from that. 70Ks and a day and a half to recover. That's incredible. Like, what do you think about recovery using the ketogenic diet? Because the ketogenic diet or low carb in general is very low inflammatory. Sorry, it it is... Uh, a low inflammatory diet, right. which basically means uh, you know, forced stress from running so much, you get a lot of uh, oxidative inflammation just from running those sorts of distances. But you know, y- using uh, a low heart rate and and using uh, the ketogenic diet, how do you think um, that compares in recovery to say the the you know the three minute twenty eight marathon that you ran because are you burning different types of fuel and and are those different types of fuel going to affect how you recover do you think well i think it does i mean everything i've researched you know and read like you know finney and bullock books and and i listen to so many different podcasts there's just so many people like peter at and just so many others um as you mentioned sisson and um, the primal blueprint and there's just tons out there um but you know a lot of people talk about how you know, fat is a cleaner energy source. And I believe that to be true. Um, I found, you know, even with lifting weights, that recovery is a lot better too. Um, but I'm not sure how it really works off the top of my head. You know, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, I heard somebody say something about, you know, your body burns fat and glucose. It, it's not like it burns only one or the other all the time. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm remembering that wrong or not, but... Um, I just think that ratio, you know, is different when you're fat adapted and you follow a ketogenic or very low carb diet. Um, as an athlete, I think that ratio, you know, your body more effectively burns fat. It can burn it more readily and doesn't have to rely on glucose. And it being a cleaner energy source, I don't remember how all that works as far as inflammation. I know I've heard you talk about you know, listening to Ben Greenfield and some others out there like that where it talks about how it can, there's certain supplements and things that allow you to recycle some of the um, some of the um, 
lactic acid and things like that. But, you know, back to Dr. Finney's and Bullock's book, Art and Science of Low Carbohydrate Performance, I remember them saying that, you know, there's been studies, maybe anecdotal, I'm not sure or not, but indicating that there's lower amount of lactic acid buildup when you're keto adapted and, and you're using a ketogenic diet during your athletic endeavors. Um, so I found that to be pretty much true for my case. There are some days I come home even from like a six miler and I, I've run it real fast or something and I've stayed strict keto and everything. And perhaps I didn't have a good balance of electrolytes, you know, a day or two leading up to it. And I feel more cramped up than I normally do, but it's more far and few between now than how it was when I was on a standard Western diet. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. And and one question I do get a lot while we're on the uh, topic of fueling for these different types of runs, how do you prepare for something like a 70-kilometer, 44-mile run in terms of nutrition? Do you use just electrolytes? Like do you use salt and those types of things or do you or do you use other types of fuel as well? Like what does that look well, like? I'll tell you what happened with that. I'll just kind of recap that. Let me just really emphasize that I did not prepare for that training-wise well at all. I mean, I have a good base of running behind me and I ran a 50K in the mud you know, six weeks prior to that 44-mile race, and it was on a different train. It was very wet and hilly and rooty and rocky, and, and this was on a very flat course. So I did not have the time under my feet, the volume of mileage that I should have had, but I was able to get away with that one, you know, by just keeping my heart rate low. I mean, I started off running a 10-15 per mile pace, and that's very hard for a guy like me to do because I want to run, you know, a little bit above that, you know, that threshold and, and get more into like a nine minute pace, which I inevitably did for about 10 miles from about mile 11 to about mile 21. And I think that probably caught up with me on the latter miles later <laughs> in the pace. But as far as how I prepared, honestly, Aaron, I did not do anything different. I stayed strict keto um, going into the race. I did not target in any sweet potato that time or anything like that because I knew I was going to keep, you know, strict keto on that kind of as a comparison too. To how it was with the TKD on the uh, 50K prior, six weeks before. And I did use something called, I found ProPar. ProBar um, puts out like a goo-like packet. It's chocolate and coconut peanut butter. I think it's chocolate and peanut butter. And mm, it's organic okay. or whatever, but it's in a yellow packet. I did a YouTube goofy review on it. I like to do just kidding around <laughs> on the car. Um I like it a lot. I think it has natural sugars in it. It's about five. It's kind of high on sugars as far as keto goes, you know, five grams, but the net carbs are something like four per pack. And I had five of those during the race, the 44 mile race. Now, you know, on an ordinary day sitting at home, you know, normal 30 minute workout in the gym or something like that, that's not something I'm going to sit there and eat. During a race, I call that strict keto still because it's nothing. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, mm. it's yeah, very low carb, definitely. relatively speaking. Um, definitely not kicking me out of keto. <laughs> Um, but it, it, it's you know, fat it, to and, protein ratio such that the fat is higher than the, the protein too. So, um, yeah. And, and just for anyone who's wondering, uh, a normal athlete who's going out and doing these types of runs would be inducing maybe 30 grams of carbs an hour. Uh, so, you know, having five of those throughout the race is nothing. Um, and, you know, compared to other athletes who are fueling mostly on carbs, uh, they, they have to carry a lot of fuel right. with them. Right. They have to carry a lot of uh, gels and, you know, different sugar 
types of, you know, in, types of fuel. But, you know, when you're just carrying things like nut butters or, you know, these pro bars, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes as well, you actually have to carry less things, uh, which is not only going to save you a little bit of weight, but you, you're not having the GI distress right. of constantly having to, uh, you know, try and eat these different things and having to switch it up because you get sick of the same flavor all the time. Yeah. And, you know, prior to going keto, I had the same thing where, you, you know, by, by gel four or gel five, you just had it you've absolutely had it and you have to get these things down otherwise you'll bonk whereas on the ketogenic diet you you don't you really don't and you can you know push through those walls and and sort of come out the other side um, pain-free so yeah it's it's really interesting how you uh have you know and and, and what sort of well, I mean, um, just, things do you use I mean, to re- sorry oh, to interrupt. Sorry. i mean I, so i have five of those you know throughout the 44 miles um but i also had a bag of mixed nuts which was Predominantly, it was um, it had macadamia and pecans and almonds for the most part. It might have had a little bit oh, yeah. in there, but uh, just one bag of those, and I split. I trickled that in. It's kind of like what Zach Bitter says. He trickles in. Now I'll get mm-hmm. back to the TKD later on that, but he, he has a different methodology as far as trickling what he's trickling in. But um, I decided to trickle the you know the mixed nuts you know over the course of like the last ten miles you know ten or fifteen miles. It was you know a two and a half serving type thing you get at a convenience store, and you know I stretched it out of that, but I did. Have five, five salt pills spread throughout the race too, um, and I also had the Ultima Replenisher for electrolytes yep. as well as noon electrolyte tablets. Okay, and then at eight yep. stations because this was a relay race, so there was teams out there and they're all drinking, having fun. It's Bird to Brew. That's the name of the race. And so what's talked about being a solo racer where you're racing the whole 44 miles, and I won't even call it races and say we're just trying to get home, trying to finish. Um, yes. You see these people having fun, partying. They got their cars, people dropping off their next teammate to run the next leg, you know. Everybody's on fresh legs around you except for the other poor chaps that are running the solo version. Um, so I had pickles at aid stations, and, you know, some. I would always top off my, my – water bottles that are in my um, ultimate direction vest that I wear because in Leadville I made the mistake of not topping off the bottle at one aid station and it caught up with me so I remember that lesson but that's what I had you know I had pickles at every almost every aid station I had my noon and ultima replenisher electrolytes as well as the five yellow packets that are kind of like a goo like packet of the chocolate peanut butter um, yep. mix and um, then the mixed nuts that was it but sorry to interrupt no, 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 no. It's 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 really interesting because I've had so many questions about this, and uh, you know, people say, "What do you fuel, fuel with? What? How do you get through uh, a race like that?" So that's really awesome information for those people who want to go out and and try those different products. So uh, you know, you can get through seventy k's using that sort of yeah, stuff. It's, it must be tough seeing all these people yeah. you know run past with a beer, and you're going, "No way, I'm not <laughs> touching." And you know, it's really interesting right? uh, to be fat adapted. Um, a really good indicator. You're not. Let's say if you're not testing ketones and all that stuff, which I don't. I've experimented a little bit with that, but I don't think I can do that much. You know, often, but I did it enough to see how that goes. But a really good indicator as a runner, you know, especially an endur- a long distance runner, if you can run comfortably, you know, for like three hours, maybe four hours, um, and not taking any food. Maybe just electrolytes, you know, salt tabs and water. Maybe a noon electrolyte tab of Zell. 
I mean, you're fat. I mean, that's a great indicator of fat ad- adaptation. I've done many yeah, training, totally many agree. training runs with no fuel except for electrolytes. Sometimes skipping the electrolytes on three hour runs, but three and four hour runs without taking in any food calories at all. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, because when I started training for this marathon, I ran 16Ks trying to do it without any type of fuel, and I bonked. And bonking, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically when your blood sugar drops into a very low state and you go all fuzzy and you can't really, you know, run much more and you have to walk. Um, has there any been, has there, sorry, has there been any points in races where you feel like you're about to bonk or you're about to, you know, go into a low blood sugar state? And if so, have, have you been able to come out of those or has it not been a problem for you? Well, it's been a problem on the standard Western diet. And this, man, I swear this was right before my knee injury too. I was kind of on track to beat my personal record of three hours and 28 minutes. And the last 10k like last five or six miles i hit that wall and i was able to hobble and walk and kind of jog a little bit but i went from almost beating my personal best by a few minutes i mean i was going to get more of a three hour and 25 minute finish three hours 26 minutes to i ended up like three hours and 38 minutes or something like that so i lost a lot of time on that and it was that was a bonk I mean, bonk, some people will define that as you cannot be peeled up off the ground. That's kind of truly what a bonk really, I mean, classic, you know, road race type bonk is like you are just done. Game over, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you yeah. just have to sit there until hopefully you can, you know, recoup enough to where you can get up and kind of start jogging in again. I've had um, stuff like what I described, though, where it's just basically taken – it's all the air is taken out of the wheels. I've just flattened out. You know, I've had that a couple times. Um, but as far yeah. as recently, that 44 miler, I'm telling you, I mean, it was <laughs> the last four and a half miles. I got to the last aid station before the finish and it was, it was from a gravel country road and it was out on a levee near the river, the Kansas river. And I said, how much do we have left? Cause my Garmin died at six hours. <laughs> and the guy at the oh, station, nice. one, of the, one of the volunteers, which shout out to all volunteers at all races, by the way, they're awesome. Um, yeah. He said, you got four and a half miles and right down there is University of Kansas. Can you see the Fraser Hall, you know, the towers there and everything? And I was like, yep. And I had to turn opposite because the levee runs alongside the river the, by the way the river flows. So even though out on the horizon, we're towards where the finish is out west, we're turning back to the south east for a little long loop to get there as the crow flies it would have been like i don't know two and a half miles <laughs> but you're sitting yeah. there and you're flattened out and you're like near bonk you know and so here's what i did here and i'm just like i know i'm starting that my breathing's erratic you know i'm not breathing this smoothly and i'm still at a 10 15 pace and it's like man i'm really starting to deteriorate really bad now and um it's like that's all right man i'm gonna do half mile jog I don't even care if it's 11 and a half minute pace. And then I'm going to walk for like 30 seconds. Well, that worked for the first half mile. Then all of a sudden I had to revise my goal and go a quarter mile. Then I had to revise my goal and then go like a tenth of a mile. I mean, and so those last four and a half miles took a long time, but um, it really Mm. affected my overall pace. But I avoided complete bonk by doing that. And I got, you know, Long distance runners, it's the problems are going to come up, especially in an ultra distance race. I mean, and easily in a marathon race and a half marathon race, if you're new to it, it's that, these problems are going to come up. So I heard somebody describe, you know, 
part of the game is just really being good at problem solving because problems are going to come up. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and and it's not if they come up, right. it's when, right? Every once in a while, you get lucky yeah. and you have a great race, like I had in Omaha, you know, Nebraska. And I felt like, man, I could run another five k, you know. But those that's kind of a Cinderella <laughs> yeah. type race, you know. Well, I didn't push myself hard. Enough. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Well, you know, it's uh, you know, it's sometimes sometimes everything can sort of line up, um, but you know, I wanted to ask you this question, and uh, you know, I think running these types of distances, running half marathons, running marathons, running ultra marathons, they really teach you uh, a lot, not only just in life, um, but you know, how to go out there and spend you know seven eight hours by yourself, yeah. really. Um, so, 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 what has running taught you that? nothing else could have oh man that you can do more than you can do so much more than you think you can i mean if you're like me you're your own worst enemy just get the shitty committee drowned out of your head and do whatever it takes i mean to hone in on the positive voice it's somewhere down in there you know you can do something and the more you do this, you, the more you can reflect on back on times where, oh, yeah, but remember that one time in Mason City, Iowa, where it was, like, super windy and you're in a headwind for 75% of that race and you got through that? Well, you can get through this, too, then. You know, I mean, so you gain some of that experience, and it's 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 amazing. I wish I could – I was better at taking how I am with that kind of mindset in, in um, long-distance racing – and putting it into the rest of my life. Cause you know, I, I just, it's, I think it's applicable to life and I'm just not very good at remembering to use those tricks in the rest of my life. I do sometimes, but in running it's becoming pretty natural, you know? And I also love this idea of failure that, Hey, I might fail. And, and that's kind of the sick headedness, you know, Hey, let's go run this 44 mile. The weather doesn't look too horrible and it won't be a muddy trail race this time. And, no, you yeah, haven't trained yet, Dave. But you know, what's the worst that could happen? You, you don't finish. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I, I remember listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast, and he was talking to another guy called Tim, and his motto was "Hurry up and right. fail." And it's basically, you know, pushing to the point where you fail and you learn from that. And as you said before, you like all of these different experiences just give you more experience when you go out the second time to do it again. So whether that's running, whether that's the ketogenic diet, you've already been through those really hard processes and really hard positions and you've been able to get yourself out of them. And you just look back on that and you go, well, at least it wasn't as bad as that. So if it teaches you anything, you know, that that's probably the strongest point. The right, right. you know, and you bring up a good point about the ketogenic diet because, you know, I find the second year, like I'm almost through my second year of using the ketogenic diet, you know, I, I don't like using the word cheat meal or cheat day because I just don't, I don't like associating kind of the unethical connotation that the word cheat has with how I eat. You know, if I'm going to go have a donut because mm-hmm. I feel like being an idiot the way I'm going to eat today and that's what I'm going to do. You know, maybe there's another definition of the word cheat that I'm cheating myself out of lean gains or something like that or out of progress. Okay. I can kind of understand that, but I'm not fooling anybody. I know what I'm doing when I go off plan, if I have a donut, but what I, I brought that up is because I want to bring up a bigger point is that the longer you're in the ketogenic diet and you might have some of those slip ups, you know, those relapses, if you will, um, you can't beat yourself up, man. And don't feel like you're a cheater, pumpkin eater, you know, 
like there's unethical thing going on here. You know, we are faced with these foods, you know, it just is what it is. The supply out there, 90% of it is garbage. And so that is a very difficult thing to do compared to something like quitting smoking or quitting alcohol or something like that, some other bad habit. It's it's a different ballgame. We got a lot of odds stacked against us, and we have to put stuff in our mouth nutritionally. So we do have to, and ultimately it's a choice. But it's it's okay to have these failures. Try not to have them. Try to get keto adapted. Don't think of this as such a short game like, oh, man, I just wasted three weeks. Now what am I going to do? i got to get keto adapted all over again. I went through keto adaptation two really big times. You know, I went off plan for like six weeks one time my first year. So you got to be stubborn enough to look at this. Really, if there's a, a, a takeaway from my talk on keto here today is that you're worth it and don't give up too soon. Trust the process, even if you have relapses. It's going to happen, and guess what? It's going to get easier because I haven't gone out and had one of my favorite donuts. I know exactly where they're at, which shelf they're on, and I know I can get them for half price after 3 p.m. if there's any left. (laughs) You know, I know exactly where that is. That was so tempting the first six months doing the ketogenic diet, and I fell prey to it, and, I, you know, it got me, and that's okay. You know, I mean, I got me. I'm the one that did it, right? But, um don't think of it like you're a cheater or some. And don't get down on yourself. It's it's hard, but just pick yourself back up and hop back on. It gets easier the longer you're into this ketogenic way of eating, this low-carb way of eating. Definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of people treat keto more as a sprint and, uh, you know, sort of to tie this back into this whole conversation, treat it as a marathon right. because it is that. And, uh, you know, those little slip-ups are just those really hard hills that you had to get up. And, uh, you know, you'll get over the other side and, and look back and go, wow, you know, it, I'm so glad I didn't beat myself up about that because, you know, I got back right. on and I'm still running, I'm still going, I'm still eating keto, you know. And uh, I think that's really important because a lot of people struggle with that psychologically. And it's important to just, you know, uh, if you've done it once, you know, you know that it's right. bad. You, you don't need anyone to tell right. you that. No. <laughs> and you uh, raise a great point. Yeah, because, you don't you want know, to make it feel. Yeah, you raise a good point. A lot of people talk about having a bad relationship with food and things like that. Well, what about the relationship with yourself? So you're going to kick the shit out of yourself because you slipped mm. up and ate three donuts, you know, and you went off the rails and then you had ice cream. You know, I mean, okay, maybe that's you might perceive that as a bad relationship with food because once you start on the garbage, you go downward spiral on it or whatever. But then you beat yourself up about it. And I, I think that it's more important to not have a bad relationship with yourself, how you treat yourself mm-hmm. for something like that. Happens. Mm-hmm. Try to learn from, you know, the slip up, learn from the mistake and, and move forward and trust the process so that the more and more you string together these four and eight week things where you don't slip up and then all of a sudden, Hey, I haven't had a slip up for four months, you know, celebrate that by not having, um, garbage dessert or something and make a, an awesome, you know, fat bomb straight from fat for weight loss or somebody like you, you know, <laughs> and, and do it that way. I mean, just recognize you're worth it, and, and it's you're, you're not supposed to sit there and beat yourself up over stuff like this. Yeah, I totally agree. And for a long time, you know, I put food on a pedestal as well, and so I feel the exact same way. But, you know, uh, uh, 
I I want to um, sort of bring this all around and and talk about a few you know just quick questions. Right. Um, and yeah, these are just little rapid fire ones that you can uh, you know just let me know the first thing that comes okay. to your head. And uh, and you know hopefully this might be able to help someone out there as well. Um, but the first one is what is your favorite low carb food? Man, it's got to be a ribeye steak. It's got to be. But you know, it's gotta have the How do you I gotta have yours? the butter on there. You know, I'm a grill guy. I'm like my buddy Scott my oh, buddy okay, Scott, yeah. um um keto dad down in uh in Florida, man. He's a grill guy too. But I'll tell you oh, what, yeah, um, yeah. you know, like Steve Keto Pack, he's got this reverse searing thing, him and eighty keto had a video on it. But I, I do mine on the grill, man. And I'll tell you what, my wife does a good right. marinade for it. I don't remember what all she puts in there, but um, I, I recently went to an American restaurant here in West End, and uh, the the way that they do meat is just phenomenal. Right. <laughs> so, so kudos to you guys. There is something that you can do with. You know, I had what did I have? I had the oh yeah, and it was just so delicious, so so good. Um, but the next one, what is your least favorite low carb food? Is there something that you uh, just don't eat and despise eating that you know you just leave off your plate altogether? You know what? I haven't found a whole lot of things that I don't like the taste of low carb. I guess maybe I haven't ventured out enough, but I'll, let's get back to this whole relationship with food. Now I'm going to make fun of this thing. My, rela- my relationship with avocados, those pesky avocados, you know, they're just so moody. You know, it's like you got to time them just right. You know, they just, they go bad or, you know, they're not ripe when they're supposed to be and ready to eat when they're supposed to be. Yeah. So... I love avocados, but sometimes I hate them. <laughs> yeah, I always remember this photo of you know it, it's it's not ripe, not ripe, not ripe, and then oh, right. it's ever ripe. You know, and you've missed that window, and it's been like five minutes. And uh, a, a really good tip, actually, um, because I learned this from an avocado picker. Um, a long time ago and is uh, when people go into a shop and they test for ripe avocados they always squeeze the sides of the avocado but the best way is to actually squeeze the oh, top really? sort of where it would come off the tree so if you squeeze that and that's um pretty soft then you know that the avocado is perfect if that's not soft then it's me- then it means you know the whole avocado is either not ripe or if that's way too squishy then you put that one back and you go and try another one but yeah so many people squeeze the sides and he's like no no no, squeeze the top it's everyone squeeze the sides and they're always you know bruised and whatnot so yeah squeeze the top it's like just using your index finger you can touch the top and feel if it's you know sort of firm or not but yeah i think that's the best way and i've found that that that's pretty good somebody said something about like a brown lunch bag if you put them in if they're too hard you know you put them in there for a day and they'll ripen faster. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure there is, but you know, who's got time for that? <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> um, so what, what's your favorite type of training run? Like there's, there's lots of different training runs out there and I'm sure you've probably experienced a lot of them, but do you have a favorite one that, you know, someone can try? Oh, wow. You know, I'm going to advise people to go out and get on single track trail. I mean, any distance on there, yep. especially with rolling cruising hills, you know, doesn't have to be steeps, but stuff. I like stuff with rocks and roots because I heard somebody describe this as dancing on the trails. It's like your light foot, it's a mm. touch and go thing. You don't want to have to negotiate around and avoid all these rocks. I love getting on a single track trail 
where there's enough technicality to it, that is some rocks or and or roots, to where it, it tests your agility. You know, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. You know, it's like, and step on the rocks. It's quick, it, you know, rather than finding, you know, the path of least risk, you know, from something like rolling your ankle, think about what's going to carry your momentum the best. Well, you're going to end up rock hopping because mm. the way the gravity's working yep. on that trail. What's going to keep your propel going? I, anybody that's got an adventurous spirit, I, I think, as a runner, should go out and try single track trails if you haven't, especially if they have that kind of stuff. And keep practicing that to where you're not just weaving in and around the rocks and avoiding the danger. You know, explore stepping on these rocks with a light foot. Um, any distance on that. I mean, you're you're going to find this is an amazing type of workout. It's it's going to test you. It's a good workout. There's a lot of uh, heart rate, yeah. you know, fluctuation on that kind of stuff. But it's exhilarating, and I love it. And I've rolled. My, you're going to fall. You're going to yeah. fall eventually. You're going to fall. <laughs> um, what do you do when you fall? Do you just pick yourself back up and brush yeah, off? Yeah, pretty much. I've I've had one really close call to putting a rock in my face on a fall. I ended up with my kind of my arm tucked into my chest and I hit my shoulder and even got dirt on my cap. And I'm like, I can't believe I got away without scratching my face on that one or just bruising up, you know, getting a black eye. But um, there's many times, you know, you roll your ankle and it's amazing. If you're light footed, your, your instincts are to let off that weight, you know, keep that roll as insignificant as possible. It's amazing how you can react to that, especially if you're being nimble, if you're being light footed. You know, but sometimes it just catches you where you had a lot of weight on it and it sucks, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's always that saying, you know, don't let the carpet be pulled from out with, uh, sorry, don't let the carpet be pulled from underneath you. Learn to dance on a shifting carpet. Uh, And, you know, dancing on those rocks is probably a lot of fun. um, As Um, far as a road or flat surface race, Aaron, I I love something like 400, you know, to do some speed training you know oh, it's really? been a while I, I remember liking that type of uh training you know um but even if you're not on a track or something maybe if you're just out on a one of your favorite routes just really blasting the downhills you know some some intervals you know that you just kind of make up i think people call that fartlex or something yeah. like that there's a word for it in the running community yeah, yeah, Farlex. Uh, I only just learned about those recently, and they're, they're uh, you know, some people hate them, some people right. love them. Uh, but, yeah, basically, you know, running running as fast as you can to that next pole right. or, uh, you know, sort of getting a little bit of speed work in there because on the ketogenic diet, you know, you run right. slow quite a lot, um, and that teaches your body to right. run slow. But you've got to introduce mm-hmm. some fast bits in there. So, yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, what book or video have you... Recent, has recently inspired you to, you know, uh, want to change something or, you know, go out there and run more? Or is there something that you've read or watched recently? Ah, gosh, as, as it relates to running, I'm not quite sure. I watch a lot of like Killian Jornet, who's a mountain. He's like a sky runner. Uh, um, How do you spell uh, his name? Killian, K-I-L-I-A-N, Jornet. He's J-O-R... Yep. N-E-T, he's from northern okay. Spain, right below France, and the, um, okay. uh, what's the, the range of mountains there, I forget, but, um, is it the yeah, I believe it is, and I think he's, his fiance is Emily, she's from like Sweden or something like that, they're both uh, elite runners, but Killian's amazing, you want to talk about, that? I don't know how people 
can even compete against that guy. It's just, I mean, he, <laughs> he, we're talking about, he's on, yeah, it's Killian, K-I-L-I-A-N-J-O-R-N-E-T. I follow him on Instagram, but it, it, he'll be up on these ridge lines and mountains, and there's like death on the left and the right, and he's flying. There's a famous Cannery Islands race that just happened, in fact. Um, and I think I've seen him down there. I don't know if he made it this year. I think he's recovering from an injury, but um, he he he's one of my favorites. And Anton Krupika is another. He's an American here, but he lives in Boulder, and he's one I follow on Instagram. He does a lot of mountain, you know, schemo and, and mountain climbing and things like that, bicycling and and. Uh, running you ought to follow that guy because you're into bicycling too so yeah yeah i should uh, definitely follow him um and uh, i'm pretty sure so tying this back to what we we're talking about uh there was a joe rogan podcast where he interviewed yeah. zach bitter and i think they may have brought up killian in, did. i'd listened that, to it just recently uh, you know yeah, and Courtney um, DeWalter as well, and uh, Courtney was the, the one that was shoveling jelly beans right. down her down, down her mouth before she went for a run, and she said, "As long as I'm full of jelly beans, that's when I'm ready to run." And you just go, "Wow, <laughs> there's some very different." So there's right another there. guy, Avery Collins. Now there's might some controversy with this runner, but he's he's amazing. He is an advocate of um, cannabis, but not during races, you know, or anything like that, but mm, it's been legalized in the state of Colorado, cannabis, um, and he, gosh, what was, I watched a documentary on, like, Netflix or Amazon Prime, and dang it, I wish I could tell you what it was, it was so great, it was down in Uray, Colorado, the Uray 100, and it's an extremely difficult race that he won, and he got off course by, like, 15 miles and he still won it. Came, oh, he was wow. dead last wow. because of that. And he came back and, and uh, won it. Dang it, what was it? That's amazing. It's it's so amazing to see those types of athletes, you know, come from either being second or third or last even, you know, to, to win. Uh, there was a mountain bike race that happened here in the Kong Games in Australia. And uh, I think it was one of the New Zealand guys. He was first for so long and uh, he blew his back tire and he was second and he did he did the lap in an extraordinary time and ended up coming first. Um, and it's so amazing to see those feats of, you know, athleticism to go past. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, for, for those people out there who run, they probably also listen to music as well. Do you have any – do you listen to music when you run or, you know, what, what music have you been listening to recently that's really caught so your attention? So a lot of my running, I listen to podcasts, but there are times, you know, if I'm running a track, I'll listen to music. And my music, you know, I'm 46 years old, but I've always listened to quite a lot of different kinds of music. Anything from The Doors and Led Zeppelin back in, you know, the old days to, uh, I mean, even like Elvis, you know, I love Elvis too, but... um you know, but metal like Faith No More back in the day is great. Rage Against the Machine, I love you know some oh, Metallica no and oh, Megadeth and just all that stuff. Um, yeah, but man, Pantera and then, then you get into like Three Eleven, which is like a fusion of rap and metal, and um, you know System of a Down back to the metal. I love Tool; they're very mathematical yep. type intricate industrial sound. Yep. But um, amazing. You know, there's some hip hop stuff. Um, I love Beastie Boys too. Um, uh, I know you're into so funk good. and stuff like that, but I love stuff like you know I can listen to like Cindy Lauper, you know, time after time. What an amazing song, right? I mean, 
Um, but as yeah. far as a good you know, Fleetwood yeah, Mac, Mac's great too. Was it Cindy um, Yeah. Well, she's, she's a solo artist back yeah. from the eighties. But um, you know, there's there's just what is one of my favorite? Oh, like Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. You want to freaking just get yeah, yeah. to the good cadence? I mean. <laughs> There's, and they're like the police. Regatta de Blanc. The, the police used to be my favorite band when I was about 10 years old. I love them. Yeah. No I mean, way. I think they're brilliant. I think Stuart Copeland's an amazing drummer. Um, they're all amazing. Yeah. But um, there's some, like, the song Regatta de Blanc's great to run to. It's got a tribal type sound. But um, yeah, music's great. But when I'm out on the trails, I don't put any music in. I'm out there to be in nature for the most part. And, I don't even listen to podcasts when I'm out mm-hmm. in the single track trail, you know, where there's woods, you know, you got to concern yourself. There might be a runner coming up behind you that's saying, Hey, on your left and you're not hearing them and things like that. Um, so, I, mm-hmm. and, uh, and in most races, you're not allowed to listen to music as I well. Think that's right? true. Some of them are allowing you to have one earbud in, I think, you know, on the single track trail right. stuff, but, um, but yeah, but if you're out training, you know, some people put them in and, Helps you get through some of the walls and things like that. But I usually just, I, I kind of just don't like being tethered to, you know, electronics. I almost hate having my Garmin on, you know, my GPS watch. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's one of those things, you know, and you in and uh, you go out and your Garmin runs out of battery and you're like, oh, you know, I can't show everyone that I ran that extra two miles. But actually, you're doing it yourself. Your body knows if you're lying right. or not. So I haven't done a trauma thing yet, but back matter. to, like, learning from experience, let me tell you, I'll tell you one of the things I'm going to remember with road races especially, bring the freaking music. Because on that 44-miler, I guarantee – a couple Led Zeppelin songs, a couple heavy metal songs, you know, would have got me a lot better average pace. And I would, you know, been inspired to keep running and pushing a little bit harder than I did on that flat monotonous course, you know, with very few turns, you know, I really should have had some music available to me. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. I, I think, you know, uh, from my experience, when you're going really, really hard, like if you're running a really hard race, um, music tends to put you off. But, uh, you know, when you're in that long, flat, dead straight sort of area, you know, it's, it's so helpful. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it's good to train without music because when you actually get to a race like that, you, you have to have the music. It's like this crutch, you know? Um, but, yeah, and and there's also this other thing uh, in music. There's something called beats mm-hmm. per minute, and it's it's sort oh, of yeah. like the tempo of what music goes at. And uh, they say for you know a, a, a injury free running, you should be running at about 180 or 170 mm-hmm. beats per minute, and it's like steps per minute, and that ends up. Uh, being what drum and bass is right. mostly at, and so if you've ever tried running to drum and bass, it's it's a totally wow. different thing. But if you try and run to the beat of that music, you'll uh, get into a pretty good rhythm of you know getting that cadence going pretty well and having a good step pattern and you know sitting in that green area. So if you if you haven't tried that, I have to look it up again. But he gave me a. There's a site you can look that if you find you have one of these songs that really gets you in a good rhythm, you can kind of go to the. You can like I think there's a website you can go plug that in and it tells you what beats per minute it is and what other songs also have a similar beats per minute range or whatever to that song. So that's very interesting. I need to hit oh, him up yeah. on that to find out what that is. But you bring up something really important, which is. Um, you said something about um, preventing injury, 
and you know, we, we, I've found with the ketogenic diet, I haven't had a knee injury since. And, you know, I have some aches and pains here and there, but nothing. I mean, my inflammation has gone down joint pains and all that way down compared to how I used to eat. Um, but you have been kind of showing this. I think you had a YouTube video on it talking about this uh, book about injury prevention for run, running, you know, injury free or whatever by Brad. Oh yes, yeah. So um, Brad Beer, he's a uh, he's a runner here in Australia, and he's a physio, mainly physio. Um, uh, his stories. He basically started out as a triathlete. And he would always have pain in the run leg, uh, and it was just this crutch for him. And he ended up becoming a physio to to actually, you know, understand why running was such a problem for him. And he he uh, he sent me this book called "You Can Run Pain Free," and it's by Brad Beer, and I'll link it in the description. But yeah, he sent it to me, so thanks, Brad. Um, but he interviews. He's got a podcast as well called The Physical Performance Show, and he just recently. Uh, interviewed Gwen Jorgensen, who um, who came first in the triathlon. She won gold in the triathlon. Now she's from Canada. Fantastic athlete, and uh, yeah, so he he's amazing. But that book is all about you know preventing injury and uh, you know being proactive with injury as well. So really learning where your weaknesses are and trying to strengthen those in different ways. And, and I know you do a lot of gym work as well to prevent injury. Is that, yeah, is I that do right? it mainly just um, to just kind of have a better overall muscle balance. You know, a lot of it's vanity and everything like that, but I've always kind of lifted weights in high school and stuff. You know, I was a soccer player, but I was just kind of a meathead too, you know, more like an American football player would be. And I love, we have weight training class in high school and I was just kind of a strong guy and, and, you know, I was into lifting. So I, I love, you know, lifting and I got back into doing it consistently when I had that knee injury. But I also believe it's really important for runners because we kind of get into this range of motion, which we kind of neglect, you know, like the adductor and abductor movements, you know, doing your lateral mm-hmm. leg motion is super important for uh, runners in my opinion you don't have to get out there and squat and deadlift super heavy if you're a runner or anything like that but i think it's good to do your shoulders and your arms and chest just to kind of bring in more muscle balance into your overall body because you know our our bodies go through wear and tear and um i think it's good to just uh keep everything you know in in shape yeah, I totally agree, you know. And uh, you, you you bring up something really interesting is is that, you know, trying to uh, prevent injury and, you know, sort of keep in shape. But is there anything that you would uh, – sort of advice that you would give to someone who was just starting to train for a marathon or was right. just starting one of their long-distance runs? Or, you know, it doesn't have to be a marathon. It's just the longest run that they've ever done. They set this goal for it, and they're going to train for 12 weeks or whatever it is. And is, is there any advice that you would give to someone like that to help them along the way? Because uh, obviously you've done lots of long-distance running before. Like, you know, what advice would you give well, to someone Well, the number like one that? thing I would say is go to a running shoe specialty store and get your gait analysis done. If not that, at least bare minimum, Get some shoes, you know, spend some good money on shoes. You know, don't get the cheapest shoes out there. Um, Invest in this goal that you have before yourself because there are better shoes than others. Some, you know, regular 
kind of cross trained, just kind of normal run of the mill athletic shoes aren't really usually the best thing for running. Can you get away using those? Sure, you can. But I think you should really invest in this goal and go get a gait analysis done at a running shoe specialty store. They can kind of tell you if you pronate or, you know, things like that. Maybe see if you need more stability in your shoe or if you have a pretty good arch, you know, and maybe you can run with less heel to toe drop. You know, I've, I've experimented with a lot of different shoes, Aaron, and I, I, I have no loyalty to any brand. Um, there's certain brands that don't work for me and have kind of proven to me I probably won't try them again, but. You know, like the Ultra I run, um, I've also used the Hoka Hoka ones, and I've uh, Salconis yep. are probably my favorite, although I haven't bought a pair for a while because I'm kind of in experimentation mode. But aside from investing in that, you know, kind of getting the, the running shoe, you know, a good pair of running shoes, get a good training plan. Hal Higdon's got a website where you can go. And I'm not a numbers guy. You're more of a numbers guy and more regimented than I am. And I had to start off being regimented just to hold myself accountable and just kind of give myself a format to help build up my base, you know, during my training, keep me on track to get to my goal. And and that works really well. And if I ever get back into where I'm wanting to really, you know, get a new personal best or something like that, I'll definitely be following a more regimented plan to do so. But I definitely think, especially for your first experiment, you know, trying to get to your next distance you know, like a half marathon from 5K to half marathon or half marathon to marathon. Get, you know, more of a formal plan in place. Hal Higdon's got a good website for that kind of thing. You probably have some resources for that as well. And try to follow it mm, and yeah, be patient. Definitely. If, you know, on Wednesday you're supposed to run your 10-mile midweek, uh, second longest run of the week, and Wednesday's been a shit storm at work and you're stressed, you know, pardon my French again, but um, – you know, the, the body really, I mean, it's amazing how stress at work can really affect your workout and vice versa. So if it works better for you on Thursday instead of Wednesday, it's okay. Do it Thursday, you know. I mean, allow some mm-hmm. some deviation from that plan, but have a, a, a general guideline and try to follow it, you know, pretty well. But, um, you know, also don't beat yourself up if you're not, if you've got some kind of shin splint you think is coming on, maybe forego one of those runs that week to see what happens, you know, because you don't want to get into this chronic, you know, injury situation where you're going to actually um, prevent yourself from attaining your goal because you're being overly stubborn. So that's the hard thing is to uh, kind of um, discern what kind of pain is this? Is this one of those pains that it's going to be better for me to work through it? Or is this one of these pains that I should probably lighten up here and kind of, step back from the training a little bit to see what's going on with this. This this might be a serious issue, you know. And again, experience Mm -hmm. is going to teach you that. You're going to learn about your own pain threshold and you're going to get to know your body on pain areas and things like that and what might be a serious possible potential injury that you're exacerbating by continuing the training versus hey, this is just something you got to gut through. you got to have some grit and get through it and it'll pass. Yeah. You know, and and I think most of the the injuries that a lot of runners get is just doing a lot of running in in too short a time, and, and not building up that in that you know distance. Uh, and it's something that I found, you know, because I went from pretty much zero to training uh-huh. for a marathon, and in my first week I was running thirty uh-huh. k's, which is I think eighteen about, miles. Eighteen how many miles that is? 18, eighteen miles. Yeah, and so I went from zero to eighteen miles in a week. 
And I can tell you what, there were a lot of weird right. pains going on. Um, Activating muscles you hadn't <laughs> yeah, used before, like those weird stabilizers next to your calves. Yeah. You're like, oh, what's that muscle? <laughs> Yeah, and and you know even just right. uh, joints. Uh, you know I have a lot of trouble with joints, and uh, you know the ketogenic diet helps with that, obviously. But there's uh, my ankle and my knees, and yeah. So if if there is uh, someone out there who's who's just starting to train for a marathon, um, definitely ramping up the kilometers slowly is the oh, best way to do it. Point. And I think anywhere from like sixteen weeks out, you should be starting to train. If, if it's less than that, you know, if it's 12 weeks, if you've done a half marathon before, then definitely. But I would always recommend 16 weeks because then you can get a good solid block of, you know, um, four-week intervals. And I, I try and do three weeks of pretty heavy training and then one yeah, week I've, of recovery. I saw on your YouTube. Um, yeah. yeah, and is, is that something that you do or you just sort of like... Man, I kind of, you know, this is, I'm not... There's very few similarities I have with Courtney DeWalter listening to her podcast at Joe Rogan because she's just such a beast. She's such a badass. But one thing she said was, I just go out and run intuitively. Now, I don't go put on 150-mile weeks like her. I'm like a 25 to 35-mile-a-week guy for the most part. Um, but I often do that here as of late the last couple few years is I go out and I'm, I'm like, man, I need to get a 10-plus miler today. I go out, and if I feel like crap at mile five, I'm like, man, I'll have to rethink that, and maybe, you know, I need to just do my long run later. Um, but a lot of times I go out, and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to run today. It might be an hour, but if I feel good, I might push, I'll probably push it to an hour and a half instead. So I kind of do a mm. little bit of an intuitive um, training from that respect. I remember she said that, and I'm like, man, that rings so true with how I've been, been lately, and it's worked for me. You know, I've got a base of, you know, 10 plus years of running consistently. So maybe it's, I can BS my way around, you know, training a little bit more than another person. But, um, you know, my goals aren't to go out and run fast like they used to be on the road racing days. I like to push myself, but I'm not hyper-focused on that watch looking to make sure I'm below the eight-minute mark per mile like I was when I was trying to, you know, hit a certain finish time back in 2012. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just been kind of my approach lately is just see how it feels, go out and run it and enjoy it. But another thing I would suggest is that, you know, try to learn about running. There, the book Born to Run, I'll get back to that previous question yet. I haven't read that recently. I, I'm starting to reread it because I read it about five or six years ago. It's such a great book. I mean, I just, what made you start running? What made you fall in love with running? And it's just, there's a lot of answers to that question, but I feel free, you know, even on the road. I love the woods because I, I feel like I'm in touch. Like there's a primal ancestral thing going on. It's kind of like being, a, you know, going through a carnivore week of just eating carnivore diet type keto, you know, I mean, the same feel I get yeah. out in the woods, you know, I feel like I'm in touch with the earth and that's what I love about trail running, for example. It's exhilarating. But I love road running because I, I get out of my mind and I get to feel free, stress-free, and just taking on the challenge of the miles on the road. And sometimes the weather can be bad and to push through that. And, uh, but being light on your feet, and learn about running. There's a certain form to running, you know. I mean, people have a certain form when they do a forearm or a backhand in tennis. The same thing applies to running. Back to shoes, 
you know, this this is touched on in the book Born to Run, which kind of got me into this, but heel striking is your enemy. I mean, heel striking is putting the brakes on every single step. And the mechanics of running, you're not supposed to land on your heel. It's going to be bad for your joints. It's going to have a negative ripple effect throughout the rest of your body. And one way to test that theory out is just take the shoes off and go run out on your front driveway. And you tell me how you like landing on your heels then. And when we were little kids running around without shoes, we weren't landing <laughs> yeah. on our heels. And anytime we accidentally did, we're like, ow. You know? um, so yeah. shoes have kind of changed the game. Maybe yeah. start off on the grass. And, and, you know, there's a certain, you know, your, your hips, you're, you're leaning forward. You're using gravity with running. You're not just straight up and down or leaning back. You know, you there's a slight lean. So go out and study a little bit about it. Go out on the interwebs and research, you know, proper running form and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think that applies to the ketogenic diet as well. You know, there's so much science out there, but, you know, you, you can go out and apply it effectively if you just know what you're doing. And, and you know, you're just applying little bits at a time. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for talking to me today, Dave. It's It's been such an honor to interview someone who's done so much running. Well, thank you, life. Aaron. I really appreciate um, getting to be on your show. I just love what you do out on social media. And this is so cool that you're doing the podcast. I can't wait to listen to all of the episodes you put out, man. <laughs> well, I, I'm a, I'm an ex audio engineer, so I think it was nice. about time. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so, so where can people find you on social media? What's your What's your Instagram? It's YouTube all handle? Uh, one word: anti gravity gains. Um, it's just a dorky name I came up with. You know, um, I'm on Instagram at anti-gravity gains and on youtube i have a channel that every now and then i upload to i love video video editing i just it's not high on the priority list right now with the rest of my life but things going on in my life but yeah at anti-gravity gains and it's just about you know gravity can either weigh you know pull us and weigh us down and make us deteriorate or we can engage in it and we can use it to our benefit and fight the effects that it has on us over time and hopefully age a little at a little slower pace because of our athletic and active endeavors, you know, and our, our way of eating. Yeah, so. that's, that's really awesome. And, uh, yeah, definitely go and check him out. Go out and uh, you, you might see some monster orders on the Instagram stories as well. They're always fun <laughs> to wake up to. But, again, thank you so much, Dave. It's been such a pleasure. And, uh, you know, until until next time. I appreciate it, Aaron. I look forward to talking with you again. I look forward to uh, watching your videos and listening to other guests on your podcast too, man. (laughs) For sure. Well, you've always been the first. So, again, thanks, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.